We are starting a new series today. This is going to be a four-week series titled One Hit Wonders, and this series is um, really just four standalone messages because the, the theme of the series, One Hit Wonders, is we are looking at one-chapter books of the Bible. And these are, are short books, obviously. They're one chapter long. They are ones that are, are easily skipped over. I mean, as we study the the longer ones, or, or um, you know, and we see that, in fact, if you're just flipping through your Bible, sometimes these ones are hard to find because they're even one page long. And so today, again, we are stepping into the first one, which we're looking at, which is the book of Philemon. Um, and again, all of these books are easily overlooked because they're short, but they are included in Scripture for a reason. But all of Scripture is there because God wanted it there. And there are lessons to be learned from every word and passage of Scripture. So we're going to spend a few weeks looking at these different one-chapter books and seeing what we can learn from them each week. So like I said, today we're looking at the book of Philemon. Next week we'll do 2 John and then 3 John, and then we'll wrap up the series and looking at the book of Jude. And so as we look again at this first one, which is titled Philemon, again, Philemon is the name of a person. This is this is a Pauline letter, so the Apostle Paul wrote it, um, just like he wrote a lot of the New Testament, and a lot of it is letters. This one also is a letter that is, uh, that is written to a person named Philemon. So we are going to read the entire book this morning, so if you have your Bible with you, uh, you can open up with me to the book of Philemon. Um, if you don't have your own Bible and uh, you want to use the one in the seat back, you're welcome to do that. And if you're with us online, hopefully you have your Bible with you close, uh, and you can open up to the book of Philemon. If you don't have it, you can just listen as I read it, but we are reading all 25 verses of the entire letter. So uh, starting out here, Philemon uh, verse 1. It says, this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our church our sister Athea, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much of use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. And I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me a while, while in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on, our, on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help um, because you are willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. 
And now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, and I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do, the, do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter to you that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristoc- Aristocars, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So as you read this letter, um, the first thing that we can see is that they had very interesting names. Sometimes they're hard to pronounce, right? But, but as we see this, again, we see this letter. Again, this is a very personal letter, right, between Paul and, uh, and Philemon. Okay? And this is obviously regarding uh, the treatment of this, this other man named Onesimus. As you see, again, this, this letter is 25 verses long. In fact, it is the shortest Pauline letter in the Bible. Um, And it's also the most personal Pauline letter in the Bible. As you see, again, he says that he literally wrote it in his own hand, right? That, uh, again, oftentimes he he didn't do that. It was not the regular, you know, practice of the time. He would have dictated it to somebody and they wrote it down for him. And so this, again, the shortest and the most personal of all of the Pauline letters, and yet it has one main topic. And the main topic of this letter is... Redemption. But the main topic of this letter is redemption. Again, this letter doesn't give the details on why there was strife between these two men of Philemon and Onesimus. It does infer that Onesimus was a slave within Philemon's household, and for some reason he fled. It doesn't say why he left or why he ended up with Paul. Again, did did Onesimus steal from Philemon? Did he commit some other type of crime against the household? Did Philemon abuse Onesimus and he fled for safety? Um, Was, maybe this wasn't not a household issue, but a church issue that caused the division. These are all valid theories, all ones that different scholars have thrown out, but, but the reality is that the text simply doesn't say. It doesn't tell us why they split, why Onesimus left. And in fact, that's an important lesson for us to even start with, not just with this text, but any scripture we come to is we have to be very cognizant of realizing what the text doesn't say. It's easy to fill in the blanks and to infer what the text might say, but we can get in trouble quickly, right, if we start to make Scripture say things that it doesn't say. In fact, um, not just this, but it's also important that we also look at the original intent of the writing. We see here, this is, again, a letter between two men, right, We're asking a favor, asking for redemption of Onesimus. If we neglect these of, of looking at what the text doesn't say, what it does actually say, the original of the, intent of the 
of the original writing. If we neglect these while studying any passage of Scripture, we can end up using it out of context. Because the reality is you can make Scripture say anything you want it to say if you use it out of context. But we must be very careful as we study the Scriptures to, to not make it say something it was not ever intended to say. It, with that said, as, as we look at this specific letter, right, I, um, I must give a little caveat as well before we jump into to looking at what it does say. Is that this, this letter, this book of Philemon, has been used in the past by some to defend the practice of slavery. And this is obviously a very sensitive topic, as much so in 2021 as ever. This, however, is not what I believe is the point of this letter. Slavery was a cultural norm when Scripture was written, and it had very little to do with race. And this simply is not what this letter was intended to address. So it is certainly a very relevant topic, but one that Philemon uh, does not speak to, and therefore we're not going to address it today. Right? That's for a different time. So what can we learn from the book of Philemon? As we've laid the foundation and looked at, again, the intent of the Scripture and and looked at some of what it doesn't say, what does it say? As, as, I, as I already shared, right, the main topic of this letter is redemption. And what can we learn about redemption? What can we learn about our own lives, our own faith that, that, that Paul is calling for here in this letter? There was obvious strife between these two men. Right? And, and Paul writes this very personal letter to address reconciliation that is needed between them. Paul, he is an apostle, and he went on several different missionary journeys, and as a result, he planted several different churches in various locations. And he still exercised leadership over all of these different congregations, which is what most of his letters focus on. Most of his letters, most of the New Testament, are letters that Paul wrote back to these churches and to the leaders in these churches in these different towns and communities. And, and there are some very valuable lessons to be learned from this very short letter, because the reality is there are just as many problems in 2021 in churches as there were back then. Right? And the reality, right, is that there is no perfect church. There will always be different issues going on in churches, because churches are full of people, right? And people are fallen and sinful and, and selfish, even believers in Christ, again, that's a part of our faith journey is, is moving forward and, and, again, to sin less and become more like Christ and, and hopefully have less and less issues in the church as, as we all grow in our faith. But there is no perfect church. So if that's what you're looking for, you will not be happy at Oregon Trail or anywhere. But the good news, right, is that we can find redemption in Christ. Right? That Christ is perfect and that he is the head of the church. Right? And that there is hope, right, that we might not ever be perfect, but we can be better. And, and as we look at that, again, we, we need to focus on the, on the lessons, again, that we can glean from this letter about this church, right, that met in Philemon's house. And the strife that was between these two men. As we 
jump into the first lesson, we, we must focus on the most important thing first. The most important thing this letter addresses, and that is salvation. All right, the most important thing first is salvation. That, in fact, that, that's the entire mission of the church, right? Of, of the apostles, of, uh, of every Christ follower is, is to, to be saved themselves, to find a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and receive him into their life, and then to share that knowledge with others who need that salvation. Again, the heart of who God is, is he wants to save us all, right? He wants to save the world. Which means that if you are human, you need salvation. And salvation, again, as I said, is the ultimate mission of the church. Again, Paul addresses Philemon as to this, this, this need for redemption of Onesimus to be accepted back into, into Philemon's household. And, and again, this comes because there has been a dramatic change in Onesimus. Like this, that's what Paul tells him in this letter, right? In, in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. What, what Paul is telling him is that Onesimus came here, right? He, he's with me here. And, and th- while he was here with me, he has accepted Christ as his savior, right? That's what Paul means when he says, I have become his spiritual father. I have shared the gospel with him, and he has accepted it. And and he has been welcomed into the family of God. In fact, when you look here, after Paul establishes this fact that Onesimus is now different because he is a committed follower, a saved follower of Jesus, that, that Paul uses, in fact, from this point on throughout the rest of the letter, he uses family terms and pronouns. Brother, sister, co-laborer of Christ, right? He, he uses these uh, different pronouns to, to describe not just the, the church and the family of God, but also to describe Onesimus. Because the reality is that when you receive Christ as your Savior, your identity changes. Because before you find salvation, you are God's creation. And whether you deny that, that there is a God or not, it doesn't change the fact that God is our creator. Right? And it doesn't change the fact that God is still on his throne, that he is sovereign, meaning he is all-powerful, he has all authority. Right? That God is still God. Whether you acknowledge his existence or not, it doesn't change the fact that God is God. And, and you, no matter what you believe about who God is or whether Jesus was the Messiah or whatever, is that, that you are still God's creation. But when you receive Christ as your Savior, then God moves from being your creator again to your Savior. And and not only does does God's role in your life change, but your identity changes. And you move from God's creation to God's child as he adopts you into his family. Your identity changes. In fact, we see how Paul addresses this about Onesimus. Right? He, he says in verse 16, he says that he is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother. 
especially to me, now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Again, Paul is is pointing out to Philemon how much Onesimus has changed, right? That his identity is changed, right? He said he was a slave to you before. Now he is a brother in the family of God, right? That he has had a conversion experience. He has opened his heart and life to Jesus, and he is not the same guy. And again, we don't know what has caused the strife between these two men, but Paul is telling Philemon is that it is now different. Right? And I'm the past is in the past. And now you, I am, and that's exactly what Paul's asking Philemon to do. Now you move forward with Philemon at a different level from a different place. Right? And, and we see again that Paul is reiterating this, this concept that he teaches in one of his other letters in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That the old life is gone. The past is in the past, right? It's been covered by the blood of Jesus. And through his grace and mercy, it's all been forgiven. It's been washed away. And now we move in a new direction because you are a new creation. You are no longer just God's creation, but now you have been reborn as his child. And you have been adopted into his family. And as we realize that, right, we... We, we again see the, the power that comes in a salvation experience. Of how it changes you from the inside out. That, that you will do life differently as a, as a saved follower of Jesus than you did before you had that experience of conversion, of salvation. And so... As your pastor this morning, we cannot move forward without me asking the question of you. Have you had that salvation experience in your life and in your heart? Because the truth is, whether you're here with us in person or whether you're watching with us online or or whether you're just uh, trying to figure out this stuff about God or the open scriptures for the first time today, is that if you try to do it on your own power, you are going to fail. That you need the, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need the power to, to, of the Holy Spirit to indwell your heart, right? And, and that happens when you receive Christ as your Savior. When you pray to accept Him. When you pray to confess your sin and, and invite Him into your life and, and say, God, I believe you are real. I believe that Jesus died on that cross and rose again to, to save me. And through your grace and mercy, I am now moving my life in a new direction as you have, are becoming my savior in this moment when I pray, and then I will work the rest of my time on earth to figure out how you can be my Lord. Have you been saved? Again, being at church doesn't make you saved. A being, a, a, your family's faith does not save you. It is a personal faith. You, have to must, you must pray and accept Christ as your savior. And so as we are here together today, as the family of God, we are going to stop right now and I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer. 
And if you have never received Christ as your Savior, then I encourage you to pray it with me. If you're ready to receive Christ as your Savior. Now, again, you, don't, you can pray it out loud if you want to pray it out loud. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray it in your mind as long as you pray it genuinely. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and as my Savior. Save me today. And I commit to follow you as I move forward in my faith and become more like you from this point forward. Amen. Now, as we have just prayed this prayer, whether you're here with us online or, or, or in person or you're with us online, if you prayed that prayer today, we want to hear from you. Well, because we, we don't want to embarrass you, we're not going to call you out, but we want to hear from you because we want to celebrate with you about the change that has been made in your heart and your life. They, and we also want to help you now to move forward in your newfound faith. Because that's what the church does. Because now you are adopted into God's family, and now you are part of, of the church family. And that we all come together as we all strive to be more like Christ. So we want to hear from you. Hey, you can do that. You can just come and tell me after service. Hey, you can send me an email, or you can turn in your Connect card. Hey, uh, but please let us know if you prayed that prayer. See, the most important thing, right, is salvation. I mean, that, and that's the core of redemption. It's to be redeemed from your sins, and your identity has changed as a follower of Christ. And then, then we then move forward in our faith, right? We Again, at a point of salvation, you, you turn away from your sin and you turn towards Christ. And now we start in a new journey moving towards Christ. And, and yet that journey, again, is one that, that we take step by step every day. As we learn about who God is and, and learn about how to read scripture and interpret it. And, and one of the things, again, we can learn about that journey here from this letter right, is the fact that sometimes it takes a step backwards to truly move forward. Sometimes it takes a step backward to truly move forward. Again, it, the reality, right, is that it feel, might feel like a step backwards, but if it's ultimately going to take us forward, then it, it's not a step backwards, is it? Right? In fact, that's one of the, the, the lies of the enemy. That's, that's one of the tools of the enemy is, is getting us to feel like things are a step backwards so we you know, don't want to do it, even though it, what it's really going to do is propel us forward. You know, one of the things we talked about in our small group this last week, and as in the group I'm leading right now, we're going through this book called The Garden, and, and you know, we, we talked about how doubts and questions can feel like a step backwards, but yet if we dive into Scripture and find the truth and the answer to those questions and doubts in who God is in his Scripture, all it does is propel us forward. And we need to change our perspective about questions and doubts because questions and doubts are not a step backwards. They're a step forward in your growth as a follower of Jesus. If you engage into those questions and doubts. 
Sometimes it takes it one step backwards to truly move forward. Again, we see this in, in verse 15 as Paul describes again Onesimus. And it says, again, to Philemon, it says, It seems you have lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. Was this a, a tension-filled situation between these men? Absolutely. Right, but now Onesimus has found Christ. Now he's been saved. He's adopted into the family of of Christ. And and now as he returns back to Philemon and his household, he's going to be in a very different situation. And what felt like a step backwards for Philemon is is now going to turn out to be an incredible leap forward. Not just his household, but even for the church potentially and for, for everything that's involved here. And, and the reality, right, is that, is that a lot of times we, we feel like, again, we, we buy the lie, right, that as soon as I receive Christ as my Savior, that everything's going to be great, right, and all my problems are going to go away, and, and I'm not going to have any struggles, and I'm not going to have to fight through things, and, and again, that's again, is not true. The truth is that now I get to fight forward, right, with God's power, not my own, right, that I'm, as a follower of Jesus, I've never by myself, right? That I don't have to to face struggles or anything by myself. I can face it with God at my side, right? And with the the faith community behind me, right? And I can face those struggles in a whole new way. And sometimes, though, we feel that that conviction of the Holy Spirit that, that doesn't feel good, right? When God points out and be like, yeah, see that thing in your life, we need to deal with that. And we, we feel disciplined by God. And yet even in those moments, again, the different perspective that comes with being a follower of Jesus is realizing that when I feel disciplined by God, that confirms in my life, right, that I am God's child because a good parent disciplines their children and teaches them to be better people. And, and a loving, heavenly father will discipline his children. And sometimes that discipline feels like a step backwards. But if I submit to that discipline, that conviction of God, and, and make the changes he's, he's making, leading me to make, then, again, my faith will leap forward. And I will be closer to Christ. See, we see in Hebrews chapter 12, it, it, it just describes, again, this, this tough love of God. He says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Again, the journey is not easy. There's hard decisions to be made. There's, there's discipline to be received from our Heavenly Father. But just as this these verses point out, right, is that it also confirms that God loves me enough to not leave me the same. To transform my heart and, and, and my mind, right, and, and to overwhelm me with his presence and, and make me more like him every day. Now, there's a big difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit and condemnation from the enemy. And condemnation just pushes you down, right, and, and 
keeps you down and kicks you while you're down, right? The Holy Spirit will never do that. That's not discipline from God, right? But conviction, right, is opens your eyes to the reality of, of how your sin or your attitude is hurting you, right, and propels you to change and to move forward. That's conviction and discipline of the Holy Spirit. Again, don't get confused between conviction and condemnation because condemnation will never come from the Holy Spirit, but conviction absolutely does. Sometimes it takes a step backwards to truly move forward. And we also learn from this letter that, that there is great power in forgiveness and reconciliation. There is great power in forgiveness and reconciliation. In Philemon verse 11, it says, Onesimus hasn't been much of use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. Like Paul's acknowledging, right, the fact that, that Onesimus, in fact, has been a thorn in Philemon's side in the past. But now, again, he is very different. Right? And, and there is great power in, in forgiveness and reconciliation. In fact, again, that's, that's what, what Paul is, is, that's the favor he's asking of Philemon. He says, be reconciled with Onesimus. Hey, because I know things are going to be different. In fact, reconciliation and, and, and you know, um, relationships between other believers and between other people are, are, are very important. In fact, so important that, that Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Because your relationships with other people are that important. Right? They will hold you back in your faith so much that Jesus is like, hey, you know what, just leave your, leave your offer here. Like, thank you, but, but you need to go deal with this person and with this broken relationship or whatever it might be. Now, again, we need to follow the wisdom of the Holy Spirit on when's the right time to do that. Right? And because reconciliation can only happen if both sides want to be reconciled. Right? And you make the effort that you need to take, right, as God leads you in the right timing to, to make that reconciliation. And if that person's not ready, then, then you just keep praying and growing on yourself and, and working on yourself until that person's ready. Right? But reconciliation is very important. And there's huge power in forgiveness and restoring those relationships. Because, again, division can be a major tool of the enemy, right? And, and divisiveness is one of the biggest reasons why churches have problems. And yet, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus prayed, right, right before he goes to the cross, the biggest thing he prayed for was unity among believers. Because there is incredible power in forgiveness and reconciliation. And then as we, as we learn these huge lessons, we, we also learn and see in the midst of this letter that, that there is responsibility that comes with leadership. Hey, there's responsibility that comes with leadership. As, 
Again, as a leader, we will always need to deal with issues that arise between people. In fact, we've, I, I've heard it said many times about being a pastor, right? That, and being a pastor would be really easy if it wasn't for the people in the church. And there's some truth to that. Right? But yet, that's what being a pastor is, right? It's shepherding God's people. It's, it's working with God's people. Now, the same can be said for in the business world and in your family life and with your neighbors, you know, with, with all this kind of, I mean, the same can be said in, in lots of different contexts. But, but yet here, Paul is playing the role of mediator between these two men, right, between Philemon and between Onesimus. Now, I, I will say even... In first reading in this letter, again, as, as you, we read it this morning, you might realize, right, that, that Paul lays on a pretty thick guilt trip on Philemon, right? That, that he, he exercises his leadership maybe a little stronger than, than maybe some of us would, right? And in fact, you know, one of the kind of well-documented reputations of Paul is that he's a little bit arrogant. In his writing, I think we see that more in this letter probably than some of his other ones. I think as, as we realize that and we, you know, we see that, uh, we realize, though, that, that he is a strong leader. Right? And, and again, we see in this, this letter, as I said, it's one of the most personal letters we see of Paul. And, and it also shows us a lot of his personality. We, we see some of that, that arrogance you know, come through in his writing. But yet we, we also see right, some very humble moments in this letter. I think I, we realize that what we see about Paul and his personality is not necessarily his arrogance and his humble. I mean, those are both kind of there. But, but the reality is that he just had a very strong personality. Right? That, that he was a person right, that, that ruled whatever room he was in. Right? You knew Paul was there. They, and, and again, he, he, he was polarizing, right? I mean, any strong personality is pretty polarizing. Again, you, you get a sense of it, especially, you know, through this letter, especially in verse 19, right? When you get the all caps, you know, statement of Paul, right? In, in verse 19, which it's kind of, I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I read something, it's all caps. That kind of, you know, kind of makes me push it away. However, right, we see this side of his personality, but we also see the other side of his personality. Right? We see the humble side of Paul come through in this letter as well. Right? In verse 14, he says, But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. Okay, you also see in, in um, verses 17 um, and 18, right, that, that Paul goes, goes very strongly into taking personal responsibility for Onesimus, right? He has this, this strong confidence in, in the change in him, right? As he says, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Again, this is a very humble position of Paul, right? He's putting his own reputation on the line for this this other man. He's very confident in the change that has happened in Onesimus' heart. 
right? And we, we see again these extremes 